Hi, welcome to Inland Sessions, the podcast. A chance to bring in highlighted Inland Sessions artists for an extended interview to talk about their music and the creative spirit. I'm your host, Zana Morrow. And today we'll be speaking with Dario Ray from Sandpoint, Idaho, a singer-songwriter and the band leader of Heat Speak, an inventive ensemble who gather to fill out, explore, and expand upon Dario's original music. speak we are a fairly modular band at this point i would say so we perform up to 10 pieces on stage we'll also pair down like trios um and we've kind of just we've it's been part of our identity all the way through to kind of have different arrangements for our songs so the orchestration varies a lot i play guitar and piano and sing and do all the songwriting and then we have string players, so cellos and violin, upright bass, congas, djembe, drum kit, uh, backup singers. And so we, we, we shift around. For this latest record, we also added a couple players playing pedal steel uh, and electric guitar. I mean, it sounds like a very eclectic setup. How would you describe the, uh, the music of Heatspeak? You know, it's always a tough one to define. Um, the kind of elevator pitch would be orchestral, indie, folk, rock. If I can throw enough genres in one <laughs> sentence. Um, but I would say our sound varies a lot from kind of like a more intimate, kind of ethereal type sound all the way to like gypsy jazz and kind of some more intensity. So we, we take it all over the place. What, um, what was your background in music? How did you get started as a musician? What was your childhood experience with music in the family for sure uh grew up with my family playing music around me um my dad the most professional of the family he played out and played in a variety of bands and is one of those artists who you know knows hundreds of covers on demand so it's interesting that I kind of took the other route and have just been kind of writing songs since the beginning of my music playing. But it started with a lot of emulations, like my sister played piano, and I would emulate her and learn some of her songs. As well as recorded music, just kind of all over. What was the environment of music growing up in your home? Live, for sure. Yeah, recording came much later to me. Like, it didn't really feel attainable until not that many years ago, honestly. So he's a live performer, for sure. And it was one of those things, you know, we'd, he, we'd play during holidays and he'd sing me to sleep as a kid. And uh, it, was a li- it was a live music environment. So that always felt like kind of an outlet for creativity. And it wasn't until much later that I started to see recording as its own art form. So I know that you're a music teacher as well, or you give lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah. Um, how does your background being self-taught, although having a lot of music in the family, kind of translate to your theory of teaching music to others? Yeah, good question. Um, well, teaching has inspired me to learn a lot more, like be able to articulate my ideas. 
So for the longest time, I was just writing and playing and didn't really have language to put to my music. Starting to play with collaborators really like initiated that, that need. I'd be playing with these musicians who were fluent in music, and I'd be like, well, here's my song. Do your best. And over time, I was like, wow, I need to be able to talk to these people and like, tell them what's going on. So I started to kind of teach myself theory and notation and some things that would be helpful down the road. And that translated into my teaching. So it was like, well, I would like to make some more money doing what I do. And teaching is a really nice avenue for musicians. So that inspired me to learn more and more and more. Um, to your question about kind of my method of teaching, it's been really organic and it has created a niche in our community for a style of teaching that's not as common. So a lot of people's relationship with music teaching or music lessons is like highly rigorous and pretty structured and has like kind of a curriculum that's like top down. Like you start here and you move down. And philosophically, I really try to get people playing music and enjoying themselves first and foremost, no matter what it takes. So it's, it's very much one-on-one. -on -one. It's trying to read how someone learns and how they feel inspired and start there. So uh, from the very beginning, I'm teaching people composition. So I'm kind of taking my own method of self-taught and applying it to my students. And a lot of students I have are like professionally trained. A lot of them have had like lots of classical training and they come to me to kind of relearn and restructure their relationship with music to include more improvisation and more freedom. Mm -hmm. Learning that more intuitive, unpracticed side of learning and literally playing with music. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to access that playful energy that, that music, I believe, really bubbles from. Like, that's where it started. That's where we all have relationships with it. And then over time, it's been kind of, like, boxed up to be a practice, uh, you know, a, a method that's, like, kind of strict. So bringing that back to the community of just, like, no, no, we just play music because it's fun and it inspires us. So whether you're a musician to start with and you come work with me or you're brand new, I still kind of start from that, that point of view. So it's not for everyone, and I'm finding there's a huge community who's desiring this kind of education. Well, I'm interested talking about your bandmates, and you said some of them were already pretty fluent in music, and definitely some people approach music as its own language. So would you talk to me about your, um, your personal relationship with the language of music since it was in your household the whole time um, when did you feel like you learned and really connected with the language of music as your own language hmm that fluency from childhood kind of blurs the line um, if we all agree that music is a language then if you're learning it at a young age it accesses the brain very differently like I learned this with spoken language like my kids are bilingual their, their mom's a french speaker and the brain actually just combines the two languages in one chunk of the brain where if you learn a language after seven years old they say it compartmentalizes into two so it's a bit of a translation so i have a hunch that music is like that too so there is a level of fluency that's probably just innate that i'm really grateful to have just because of the massive exposure identifying with it and kind of finding my own voice in it did definitely didn't come until later. And honestly, it's still kind of a journey. So maybe I'll sidestep slightly and just say that like writing is a huge part of my practice. 
the kind of poetic element of songwriting. And that is maybe more natural for me, more of my creative output. And music is like a vessel to deliver it and, and like give it a lot of energy. So that's where my passion really lies is like that songwriting, including the lyricism. The musical element, I've leaned on my collaborators a lot over the years, and they've taught me so much about embellishing those sounds and giving them energies that I didn't know were possible. Uh, because I, for the most part, you know, have been the, the least trained musician in my band. You know, I have my specialty, but from a music standpoint, if you're like, oh, you are a musician, um, you know, I, have, I do what I do. And a lot of people I collaborate with are just massively talented and could do all kinds of things. So um, that musical language is still a constant journey that I'm exploring. What did you find when it came to, since you kind of started creating music at an early age while you were still learning music, um, the translation of beginning to perform your music for others and to share it, what was that journey like for you and what was that experience of beginning to share it there was a moment for sure so it was 2008 I believe my second year of college I sold my car and went to Europe for two months backpacked around and brought a little mini guitar with me and at that point I had just basic chord abilities and I was starting to write a few songs and I think I learned some covers at that point I was learning a lot of iron and wine songs teaching myself finger picking so very very beginner and on that trip, that two-month journey in Europe, I just wrote every day and practiced in the plazas and practiced at my hostels and just played music all the time. And when I got back from that trip, I had a dozen finished songs. And so it kind of hit me like, oh, this is not common like to just go and write a dozen songs. And I probably should share them to see what people think, you know, and just give them an outlet. Mm -hmm. So it was a very conscious decision. It was always, music has always been just kind of something I tinkered with. And then coming back with a collection of original songs, I started to play open mics in Bellingham um, and pretty quickly liked the experience of letting these songs breathe. What would you say is that kind of biggest thing that you've overcome to be the person and artist you are today? Maybe not overcome, con like continue to dialogue with would be the the expectations of the world. Mm. So as a provider for my mate, for my kids, the, the pressures of society that I just inherit mm -hmm. are really challenging to carry and confront along a journey as an artist. So I'm very responsible and very organized, and I'm grateful for that skill set. <laughs> and a lot of artists that I know don't have some of those skills. Mm -hmm. So it keeps me, you know, able to function at a pretty high level society-wise. Mm -hmm. And that pressure is just always kind of in the background, you know, these little voices that, that make it really difficult to, to trust in the ebb and flow of finances and security and opportunity and just schedule. It's like our life is built around these schedules and the art process doesn't fit into them. Mm -hmm. So to, to constantly push up against that schedule of our human existence and try to stay true to the rhythms that I feel is 
by no means have I overcome that. And that is a daily practice and a daily challenge that I don't foresee really going anywhere. And I have to stay present with that. Did you always consider yourself a songwriter? I'm not sure I would use that language until a little later. But looking back, yes. That's always been my entry point into music. Well, you're a solo artist as well as with this large ensemble that you're kind of the band leader of, um, and they play your music. What's the difference between writing music for yourself and writing music for the whole band as a larger ensemble? Does it change what you're trying to put into the music or get out of the music that you're writing? So just to kind of clarify, like I'll bring a finished song to my collaborators and then I just, we've built enough trust in the kind of caretaking of the song that I just let them free reign. So there's some orchestration here and there between all of us, like a dialogue, you know, both musically and verbally. And they're essentially writing their parts to accompany the song. So to your question about how does it change, in some ways not at all, because I do my internal writing and then I have a collection of songs and some really speak to coming to the band and some feel like, ah, this just should stay really simple. So they kind of like divert and where they're going, which project they're headed towards. Mm -hmm. And as we've become more solidified as a band and a lot of these collaborators I've been playing with for 10 years now, I do think about them in the songwriting process. So it has changed a little over the years organically. I would say the most concrete element is leaving lots of space. Well, it sounds like you definitely have a vision for your music and how you'd like it to sound, even as you pick up new people who are able to embroider it for you and with you. What's your aim and what's your goal with the music that you're making with Heat Speak? Hmm. Well, I think I would disagree that I have a vision for the music. I, I have a vision for the process. And then I love the unfolding, the unknown, the surprise. And in the, in the pre-production stage, there was lots of ideas on what songs would make it in. I thought we'd retract some of the older songs we've had because instrumentation has changed so much over the years that some of those songs are brand new in, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And when it all shook, shook out, it made more sense to just make new tracks and just create an album. Maybe you would introduce us to one of those songs. Yeah, love to.
cupboard of a grand firm on the west end. Music and performing for some time, um, and doing that professionally under the name Dario Ray and Heatspeak. And you used to record just under Dario Ray, but the band also used to live under that name as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know that you were performing with the band and as a solo act under the single name. So why did you decide that it really needed to be two separate projects? of Dario Ray, the musician and solo artist, and Heat Speak as the band, rather than the band coming under your name? Mm -hmm. It's been kind of a tumultuous relationship in my own brain through all of it. So I can reflect on it and really see where things have worked and hasn't worked. I would say the progression of it was, you know, I'm a songwriter, I have these finished songs. My name is Dario Ray here we go, and look, there's some musicians now joining to play along. So that was just a model that kind of made sense to me. And as I got deeper in the music industry and learned more about how it all operates, I started to recognize, oh, a lot of those artists who I admire, you know, Andy Schaff comes to mind. He's tracking all of the parts himself at home for mm -hmm. the most part. And then he makes finished albums, and in the studio is the art form. And then he hires out musicians to tour with him to execute the album. And it was like, whoa, that's a really different approach than what I'm doing. You know, I'm writing all the songs, but the arrangements are coming organically through our collaboration. And it's well above and beyond my own creative expression mm -hmm. as an individual. So as that continued to develop, it didn't feel quite um, authentic. And meanwhile, I'm also playing solo acts just as like a gigging musician. Mm -hmm. So like that obviously makes sense. And so it's like, well, let's just brand it together. And then after we did Aspen Artichoke, that was a very collaborative album. That was our first full length record. I knew I wanted to have a band, you know, a more committed 
group of people. So banding under its own name felt like a nice trajectory moving forward to the next album, which we already kind of had visualized. And Heat Speak became the moniker for that. And that felt really good. And then Dara Ray was more, you know, reserved for solo and duo and trios. But if we were a big band, we were Heat Speak. Mm -hmm. As time has gone on, I have reverted to a more modular, like we're less of a band. If you think about a lot of band, there are, you know, three to five people and they're solid and they tour. Mm -hmm. And actually that's the, that's the image of bands. In the reality, a lot of bands are very modular. They just don't, they're not honest about that. Yeah. And the market doesn't really allow for that. It's hard to be like, hey, well, I'm going to bring a band. I don't know who's going to be with me, but it's going to be a great show. <laughs> like bookers don't want to hear that. So I've had to just kind of lean into that and, and do it my own way and accept, hey, modular is the way we operate best. Mm -hmm. And the more we do this and the more we create and the better shows we have and the more people see us, the easier it is to get shows and have people trust us. Branding is such a big part of what musicians need to do. How has this last 12 to 14 years been as a crash course in the music business, the music industry, this other side of being a musician, at least a performing one? Difficult. Uh, a lot of personal growth has come from it. A lot of, you know, management of expectations and also the realization that it's a pretty dark industry. So there's a lot of ways that it functions that doesn't resonate with my being. And that's part of the reason why the DIY approach has worked so well for me, because I get to just stay in the art. So the more I've dabbled in the music industry itself, the deeper I've gone, and, and I haven't gone that deep, but as I dip my toes into like what it means to outsource certain elements of the creative process mm -hmm. or the publicity process or any of that, um, it's, it's pretty dark. So I, in moving forward, I don't really know what that means for my career. It's like, as of now, this project is paying for itself and continuing to produce amazing artwork with amazing people. And I'm really grateful for that. And when it comes to making money, I do other things. I have a lot of other projects that help pay my bills. Was there ever a choice to not be an artist and musician? Or did you choose to follow this pathway? Yeah, there was a, there was a pretty clear choice. Um, I was in the academic world pretty, pretty deeply. So the latest, the latest degree that I was working towards and I finished was in Concordia University in Montreal. Mm -hmm. I was studying art history. And I did really well out there and I got a lot of scholarships and got a lot of scholarships to go into the PhD program. And I just like took it. I was like, well, money, you know, here we go, <laughs> boom. And when I, when I kind of, as actually when I came back to visit Spokane and being with friends, being with family, thinking about committing the next four or five years of my life to the university, I realized that that was my creative energy that was being sort of packaged up in this institution to be used for their projects or, you know, mine and with the lens of the academic world. Yeah. And I just knew how much I had to offer. I just knew it. And I thought, man, if I'm willing to put in this much work for someone else, what if I put in that much work for my own ideas? 
Like, I, I think it's going to be awesome. Was there anything that taught you to have that trust in yourself? My upbringing, I feel really grateful for. Um, both my parents were self-employed and fairly radical as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly came from a radical upbringing as like in their youth. Mm-hmm. But even as parents, pretty radical. So I had, I had a model of pushing against culture that felt easy. Mm-hmm. And so there was always a, 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 an encouragement to be myself yeah, in my household. It was supported to be creative yeah. and to be a little different. To be whoever I am, to just really blossom as, a, as an individual. Yeah. And, you know, and so that, having those models is really helpful. And I can look at like my students and the people I work with and friends and community and just see how valuable that is. So utterly grateful for that opportunity. And that's just luck, you know, like some people are dealt like born into money and that feels like this great opportunity. And for me, it was that, that was the gift I was born into is like the freedom to express. Mm-hmm. Well, as we kind of wrap up, would you be able to introduce us into the ensemble of Heat Speak and some of the artists that you work with who are in that circle of trust? in that band who work with you on your music. Yeah. I suspect, I mean, for now, I'll just, I'll introduce everybody who's on De Bouquet OK. Yeah. We've been collaborating for a year now. Uh, so Phil Pintor, I mentioned earlier, he, on this record, played violin. Uh, he's an extremely talented musician, so has, over the years, played keys and viola and various accoutrements. We've done, like, bowing of wine glasses together and, like, <laughs> you know, textural things. He's been a key collaborator. We have two cello players, so Caroline Bickford and Tim Gales. That has been a beautiful relationship to watch unfold. They come from very different backgrounds, and to sort of watch them collaborate and kind of learn from each other and um, collaborate with Phil. So the three of them do a lot of the kind of string arrangement stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just like out of my wheelhouse, and I just let them play. And sometimes we'll just like pause a rehearsal, and the three of them will just be like tinkering on really cool ideas that are over my head. So a really talented group there. Ari Colts has been playing drum kit for us for two years now, so become pretty staple in the band. We've had a couple other drummers over the years, uh, and for in our early Heat Speak days, there were no, there was no drum kit. Mm-hmm. So a later addition to the sound, and since then we've cycled through a couple. And Ari's Ari's a great, great drummer, and she sings as well. Um, let's see, Lane King is new to this album, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a band member. I mean, I'd love for him to be part of the band, and he's a very busy studio musician, plays in lots of projects, high demand, high talent. He plays pedal steel. Mm. Um, so just a beautiful sound and not somebody that I don't, I don't see anybody tracking him into a band until they can really give him a, a good <laughs> salary. You know, he's an amazing player. So fun to have him collaborate on this album. And there's one more person, Sean Duffy. So he's the uh, founder of the Grain Shed, one of the best bakeries here in town. And I would say in Spokane, kind of a closet musician. Like he used to tour with bands in Chicago, and he's like a, an amazing guitar player. And he doesn't play out in Spokane, so I feel lucky to collaborate with him. And he's a live wire. Like he brings his pedal board, never rehearses. He he tracked on in the studio with no like just live improvisation in the moment, and a lot of like textural stuff. But he's very brave, and very skilled. So added some really cool texture and some cool. Um, just kind of X factors to the album 
he played with us at the release show as well and it was quite a treat. So always a good play with him. I played with him in the past as well. Well, you definitely trust them when you can bring them into the studio. Go for it, man. I trust you. <laughs> this is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to have a, a nurtured gut where I can feel that instantly with another person. Mm-hmm. And it's never led me astray. If I, if I feel that certain connection, I know they're going to treat the music with respect. And that's all that matters. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dario. I just can't thank you enough for your time, your attention, your efforts today, and, of course, the music you brought. Well, thanks for bringing me on the show. It's always fun to chat with you. So, thanks. Thank you. You have been listening to a KSPS production recorded in Spokane, Washington. For more information about Inland Sessions, to watch back episodes, or if you'd like to learn how your support of KSPS, PBS, and public television turns into more great programming that explores local arts and culture while promoting civic health and lifelong learning, please visit ksps.org. Thank you.